I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Frank Schaefer, author of Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, and Be Happy. Over 12 years ago, New York Times best-selling author Frank Schaefer paused his career to become a stay-at-home grandparent. When he made this decision, he was at the height of his career with a string of popular best-selling books. So many people questioned his choice. He wasn't always as present as he would have liked during his own children's upbringing because, for many reasons, but he traveled a lot. He decided to change this with his three youngest grandchildren. He examines in his book how the pandemic has made society, especially dads, rethink our family, including taking on more of a caretaker role. He shares a passionate political, social, and lifestyle blueprint for changes that millions of us know are needed to rebalance our work lives with thriving relationships. Uh, Frank has appeared on Oprah, NPR, The Today Show, and is also a frequent guest on The Rachel Maddow Show. Welcome to the show, my show, Frank. Nice to have you here for the second time. Catherine, wonderful to talk with you again, and I think you were mentioning that we are both grandparents. We are both grandparents. You're a grandfather. I'm a grandmother. Uh, Mm. Maybe we should start out. Is is there a difference? Uh, I don't know if I wasn't really intending to start out with that question, but uh, and maybe we'll leave that for a little bit later. But okay, you're a grandfather, and you've been a stay-at-home grandfather for how long? Well, going on 13 years now. Although my youngest of my five grandchildren is now in second grade, and so all of a sudden my full-time child care post-COVID, now they're back in school, uh, is limited to a school pickup at 3 in the afternoon, and then I have Nora till 6. I cook for her. We read out loud. We do projects, but um, I'm kind of running out of the very, very little ones. But up until COVID, uh, I, I was doing this full-time with Jeannie, and my wife, and then during COVID, these three of my youngest uh, grandchildren all sheltered with us. My son lives across the street quite literally, and we were running Camp Schaefer for a year. They were out of school. Then they went back to doing, you know, classes on Zoom, but um, they were with us. And then before that, the younger ones, and then all of them before school, we were their only caregivers. Their parents were both working. So I describe myself as a writer second and a nanny first these days, uh, because that's what I've been doing. And, and that's what this new book, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, Be Happy, came out of. And, and quite simply, what happened is I started keeping a diary of childcare and what I was experiencing with Lucy when she was the youngest of those three and just born, marching around my office with her in my arms. She napped better in my arms than in her crib. And of course, you know, that's the way you win the enduring affection and love of a, of a daughter-in-law, you're the one who who provides the naps, and it it built from there, and I suddenly realized these were literally the happiest days of my life, and I started wondering why, you know, I'm a pretty testosterone-driven male, uh, heterosexual, been married for 52 years, you know, why all of a sudden am I happier now than when I'm out on the college lecture lecture circuit or on a TV show or I've had a bestseller? What, What is it about this experience? that goes so much deeper in some ways than my own kids during my more striving years. And so the book came from that. And then 
over the five or six years that I worked on this book, it went through many stages. And the first was diary to my, my grandchild. I'm writing to her to tell her what it was like being her grandfather. The second was a scientific exploration of why I'm having these deep feelings. Fortunately, I have some wonderful women friends who teach at university level who told me what to read and sent back notes. And the book went through many drafts. And I found myself really studying neurobiology, what you might call the science of love. Why, why is it that our best memories are all about the giving and the receiving of love? They're not about career. They're not about money. They're not about achievement. They're about the giving and receiving of love. And all the modern science on this subject bears this out. And so then but, the book and took Frank, on a second And Frank, so I want to interrupt you because I have a question because as I'm reading your book and I'm thinking – uh, you know, you def- you've evolved from a different kind. Of, well, you were your parenting. Uh, yes, you did in one way, and then you evolved into your grandparenting in another way. And as you're yes. talking about, yes, it's all about love, but and and the you know all of the uh, the joy that you get from being the grandparent, hands-on grandparent. But I was thinking about the fact that you evolved into it, like you had all of the successes, you had all of the you know you best-selling yeah. books, and you'd have all the sort of testosterone-driven uh, rewards, and then you be you know jumped into this grandparenting. Do you think you sure. can feel? Can one feel that way without having all the other? experiences that you had or how did that's that was my sort of um, yeah I uh, yeah yeah Catherine I think that's a a good question and a very fair one and I would put it this way the reason I was doing full-time grandparenting is I believe in women's careers and my my grant my my daughter-in-law Becky has a very vibrant career as a school administrator she's an educator and her husband John my son who was in the Marine Corps I, I wrote a book with him called uh, Keeping Faith, a father-son story about love in the United States Marine Corps. That happens to be the book that had gotten me on Oprah. Hey, I valued my career. I loved doing what I do. I still am a writer. I'm on this show promoting a book. But the fact of the matter is I believe in women having careers. My daughter is the CEO of an investment company in New York. She's also married with children. What I don't believe in is thinking that career defines us. I think that our road to happiness and and joy lies strictly through one question, and that is, how do we define success? All my regrets in life are when I define success wrong, spent too much time on the road in my striving years away from my own kids, was a bully to my wife because I was raised in an evangelical fundamentalist home that said men should be in charge. Every great memory I have, like last week when I was in the hospital with Jeannie because she had a mild heart attack and I've been nursing her at home since, and she had a stent put in, and she's doing great, relate to the giving and receiving of love. So the very reason I was doing child care is so my daughter-in-law, Becky, could relax, enjoy her job, know that her kids were not with strangers but with loving grandparents, and let her have a bite at that apple because she's at that stage of her life. I'm at a different stage of my life. And so I don't think it's an either-or question. I think it's a question of what we value most, and instead of ordering our lives around career, order our lives around connection and love, and then have the career as well, but keep it in proportion. Instead of the agenda of corporate America and shareholder profits that says, oh, you, you want to have a child? Well, wait until you're 48, then have IVF, and spend $180,000, maybe we'll let you have one. Oh, no, we're not helping you with nursery care. Oh, no, we're not giving you paid parental leave. 
oh, no, we're not going to encourage your husband to help out with the child care. It's all strictly business. That's where the fallacy is. That's where the tragedy is when it comes to women and men. And, and I think COVID's been amazing because since I wrote the book, I had to redraft it after COVID. And I, I hate to put it this way because COVID's a tragedy and I've lost friends in COVID, but it's as if Mother Nature sent a memo to it, said, let's, let's try what Frank Schaefer's saying. Everybody go home for a year and recalibrate your idea of success. What's the result? The great resignation. Many millions of men and women leaving their jobs, demanding more time with their families. Many people demanding more time at home. Many people demanding child care and parental rights and, 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 and paternity and maternity leave. So that COVID, in a way, is a big experiment that has forced people to look at the very thing that I'm asking for and fall in love, have children, save, put, save the planet, be happy. It's very far away from telling women and men to not have careers. It's the opposite. I'm saying let's organize our personal lives in a way that allows for that by, by choosing to be caregivers of each other and how we help. How do we do that in the context of our society? And you do talk about this in the book and our sort of, not sort of, in our capitalist society, which really doesn't, uh, it doesn't really accommodate us, you know, with all the, in, in terms of being able to do those kinds of things, even if you want to make those choices, very, very difficult. So that's, you know, so that's the context in which we're trying to achieve all the things that you just mentioned. How do we do that? Well, let's just take one example. You know, Joe Biden wants to have Part of his agenda is paid parental leave. We're the only developed country in the world without paid parental leave. We ought to take to the streets. I mean, this literally, it should be a stonewall gay rights situation. It should be an, a, 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 you know, a moment of reconsideration for women and men who want to put their children at the center of their lives of importance. You know, we should be mad as hell and not taking it anymore. That's one side. There's got to be political activism that that says, okay, feminism's fine. It hasn't been tried yet. If it had been tried, we'd have real choices. The real choices start with paid parental leave. They go into corporations should have, should have child care provided by the corporation on site. Moms, dads, caregivers, non-binary people ought to be able to take a break for work and go see how their kid's doing downstairs in the Montessori-run, wonderfully structured, high-quality daycare center that the corporation provides. The government ought to be paying for some of this. It has to be the number one political agenda in America, not the defense budget, not the not GDP, but how do we treat people? How do we care for families? Otherwise, none of us are going to have a good life. And then the other thing is in terms of personal decisions. Look, one of the things I cite in my book is that we, on average in America, move 11 times in the average American work life. This is ridiculous. Then we wind up saying, look, I moved because I was getting a higher paycheck. I had a better opportunity. I was going to be made an executive. Now I'm lonely. Now I don't have any family support. Now everybody's far away. We've got to just stop for a minute and think about this. If our definition of success is what we see written in the eyes of those we love most and care for, which should be joy and wonder and fulfillment and happiness and peace and comfort, we're going to live one kind of life. If it's the bottom line of what your, what your paycheck is or, and or combined with your status in terms of your job description, we're going to live another kind of life. I'm saying, look, we can have great careers. That's why I do childcare for my daughter-in-law, for my son. We can have family. We can have these things. 
we can have our successes, but our prime definition of success has to be about the giving and receiving of love. If you want to be happy in life, unless you're a sociopath, you're going to have the giving and receiving of love as what your life revolves around. Not because Jesus said it, not because it's the right thing to do, but for a very different reason. It's how we evolve, and that's what my book lays out. And I think the very, very strong case for the fact that we evolved as caregivers, and that includes males. Hunter-gatherer societies only survived because people shared, and it wasn't might makes right, and it wasn't all to do with upper body strength and who can do the most pull-ups. It had to do with the fact that it really does take a village to raise a child. Our babies are born with big brains. That means they have long childhoods because they only have a third of the brain capacity when they're born that has to develop outside the womb or all mothers would die, not just some in childbirth. The fact is we evolved to have these long socializing childhoods. That means everybody has to be involved in caregiving. So these fathers who are quitting their jobs and insisting on working from home or only going in a day or two a week, they are now getting in line with evolutionary reality of what makes them happen. What is out of line with that is this idea that somehow males go to work, females stay home, caregiving is a female prerogative that males won't enjoy. All the science points in a different direction. The study I cite in my book shows clearly that males who bond with children that are adopted, that they have no biological connection with, all the neurotransmitters, the hormone levels, the science of of oxytocin measurement, brain scans, show that fathers have exactly the same level of commitment and experience if they'll make that commitment in terms of the pleasure they get out of the relationship. So the modern science of neurobiology all points in the direction of caregiving, and it's changed our definition of evolution. It's no longer the survival of the fittest, this sort of Ayn Randian idea of lording it over everybody, this libertarian idea of of striving and work. It's the survival of the friendliest. It's the people who know how to cooperate who know how to give and receive love. That's where joy is. And it's not because it's the right thing to do, although I think it is, in a moral sense, it's where the happiness is. And every single study shows that. So my book is, n- is not saying anything new. It's simply bringing up to date what the studies are, combined with my own experience as a caregiver, and my own writing ability as a novelist to tell a story. And I hope that it's for every parent, every grandparent, every non-binary single person who decides not to pair bond but sees themselves as a caregiver of their friends at work, for instance, or the, the students in their college. It's not a book about saying, oh, let's not have careers. It's a book of saying it's ridiculous to have careers when that is the goal rather than the goal of the career to be to provide for our ability to love and give love and receive love. It's a, it's a cart and a horse situation, and we've got it exactly wrong now. Well, I think in your book, you talk about, you get specific and you talk about tips for men who want to be stay-at-home dads, because this is a new thing. And I think you also mentioned, uh, and I noticed this where I am in New York City, I'm seeing more and more dads, more and more fathers on, you know, with the babies, not just with the little kids and playing ball and doing those kinds of things, but with the babies, with the infants, wheeling the carriage, going to the grocery store, sharing those kinds of experiences. And, uh, you know, and that is true. I, I, I'm post I say, I don't even know if it's post COVID really. I think that's going to be here for always too. That's another topic, but, um, yeah, so you, you are seeing, at least I see it on the outside, more fathers and and grandparents engaged with the children. I also see that. I see grandparents wheeling the carriages, not with their daughter or son-in-law, but they're 
taking care of the children on their own, which is a good thing, which is what you're saying. Yeah, and it's happening, and COVID has simply accelerated it. You know, I had a personal experience in the in the last 10 days that I'll share with you that I think says it all in terms of where our priorities are and how you define success. My wife, Jeannie, that I've been with for 52 years, had a mild heart attack. She's fine now. She went to the hospital in Beverly, Massachusetts, had a stent put in. She was down there for three days. I sat next to her bed for 12 hours a day, slipped her a little coffee on the on the morning of the procedure because she doesn't do well without her caffeine shot. And it was a moment of tenderness, but then it became a moment of tremendous poignancy for me because I have a lot of guilt about that relationship in the sense that coming out of that evangelical fundamentalist background, I thought men should be in charge. And I spent the first 10 years of our 52 years together, and I'm sorry to use this language, but pretty much an asshole by divine right. In other words, I had been raised to believe men should be in charge and women are supposed to obey them. And she was this young teen mom, and how did we navigate this? Okay, 52 years later, she's coming out of anesthesia, having had a two-hour procedure to put in a stent and examine her heart, which, thank God, is fine. And I said to her, as I walked next to her, holding hands with her, as we walked with the gurney back up to her, her room in the, neuro, in, in, in the cardiac intensive care unit, I said to her, you know, were you, were you afraid when they were putting you to sleep? And she looked at me and says, yeah, I was nervous, but then I was overwhelmed by one thought, and that is what a wonderful life I've had, and I went to sleep just feeling so grateful for that life. Now, to me, that really struck home because I was such a jerk to her in the first years of our marriage, and I changed for her because I love her, and I changed so much in my life because I love her. And for her to look back with that level of forgiveness and kindness and say that she's had a wonderful life when I know damn well that I was not a good husband to her for many, many parts of our early relationship when I was learning from her what a human being looks like rather than a fundamentalist idiot before I left that whole deal. But I have a question, Frank. She married you and you say she she was a teenage bride and a teenage mother, but she fell in love. She fell in love with that evangelical patriarchal, male-dominated person, uh, uh, you know, a person who believes in all of that. So how did she change? I mean, because, and then suddenly, uh, as you say, you know, you you had a complete turnaround in terms of how you saw yourself and uh, as an individual. And Okay, so what, how did, uh, did she suddenly embrace uh, the new kind of relationship? Uh, Because it takes two of you. It's not just you saying, okay, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Well, you know what? What's interesting about that is it fits in with what you were talking about with these young fathers out there with strollers and getting involved with little kids much earlier. Fortunately, one of the good parts of my background was that we were in an evangelical community that was very supportive of a young couple. My sisters were there as part of this kind of nepotistic work that my family was all involved with. Jeannie had a lot of help, and I got very involved in the child care early in ways that were not typical back then, but were in our little community. So the funny thing is the the reason she was able to, 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 to tolerate this for a while was the good part of the community life and the kind of the, the perspective on family life of being the center and very important. And that we didn't change. We carried that forward. And also the fact that uh, I was deeply in love with her and, and, and we did love each other. But my point was in looking back over her life and me looking back over mine, the things that we treasure and that gave us the ability to forgive and that gave us the ability to go forward together was nothing to do with career achievement or money. In fact, exact opposite. You know, my early career achievement was being this nepotistic sidekick of my famous evangelist father, Francis Schaeffer, in the evangelical world. 
it was precisely because I left that uh, and did not pursue that that we're still married. And, and, and a lot of that was the fact that I was starting to pay much more attention to her, spending less time on the road and coming home not so angry and feeling like a jerk all the time because I was behaving differently. So my point is that it emphasizes that what we find as the best memories in our life are all about the receiving and the giving of love. They are not about career. They are not about religion. They are not about who's in charge at home. They're not about all those things. And the way we express them is not some big deal ideology. It, you know, I get up in the morning to write at 3 o'clock. I have a second cup of coffee at 5. And then what I do is I take a break for 20 minutes and clean the kitchen. And I've done that for the last 30, 40 years. I make sure that I share the housework, not because Jeannie demands it, but because I love her. And, and when you're, you're sitting there next to a wife who's just had a, a mild heart attack and she's recovering, what you're glad about is the times of closeness and love. What you regret is anything that took you away from that. It's a, it's a no-brainer, but it's such an obvious thing. So when I think about those young dads out on the sidewalk in New York that you're seeing with their kids, they are not going to regret one minute they spent doing that, but they may well have a lot of regrets associated with what at the time they thought was their quest for career success that took them away from that. And I'm saying males who throw away the candy and eat the wrapper and forget to participate in the caregivers are really losing out. And they're not losing out just because they could do better with their lover, their partner, their wife, their spouse, whoever it might be. They're losing out on the level of just simple joy and pleasure. And that the quiet that COVID provided so many of us to contemplate what we really care about is a once in a generation opportunity. And we mustn't waste this crisis by not rethinking our priorities. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I have a friend who doesn't have grandchildren, and I have three grandsons who also lived with me and my son and daughter-in-law during COVID for over a year. And I, I mean, so many people died, people that I know got sick, all of those you know, horrific. But in my own little nest, in my own house with my grandchildren, it was wonderful, just as you're describing it, because here I was, they couldn't get away from me also. <laughs> I had them right there. Yeah. And it was, I mean, we were, re- but we were also ready to to separate afterwards. It was time for everybody to be in their own home. Um, but it was, it was a, um, it was that just, you're talking about love and experience and unconditional love and all that stuff was right there. And I, with my own children, it was always, uh, you know, school and activities. And I, and they used to say, spend time with your children. And I was a stay at home mom, but I didn't have time to just sit and relax with them because there was always stuff going on and there. And this was such a different kind of a, a situation it was great. I mean, and, and also brought us very close together. So you're absolutely right. I think the pandemic for many of us changed things. Um, but and I continue to have this very close relationship with my grandchildren, which I might not have had if it hadn't been for the pandemic and we were thrown together, I don't know, in, um, at my house. But yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a, I also want to ask you the question though, how does that impact the grandchildren? We're talking about what we get from it, what the family gets from it, what the caregivers get from it. What do the kids get from it? Because the studies now, and I'm, you mentioned this in the book, are pointing out that ch- uh, kids who are close to their grandchildren are healthier, smarter, intellectually, emotionally, they fare better. Um, so that's the science behind it as well. Yeah, the science is incredible both ways because there's been numerous studies showing that 
children who grow up with a close relationship with a grandparent, a close, warm, loving, sharing relationship in terms of mental health, in terms of what they do later in life, everything that's measurable, uh, it, it's the single biggest predictor of uh, uh, success in life. And I don't mean corporate success. I mean real success, happiness, joy, peace, not having mental problems, not having drug-taking problems. Close relationships with grandparents are one of the single biggest predictors. The Berlin study that went on for 19 years tracking people starting at age 55 and then going with a minimum of 55, but some older, going up into people's 90s, showed that the single biggest predictor of longevity for someone over 70, and then it goes on for 19 years they measured it, so that's, you know, taking them almost till 90. Um, the single biggest predictor was not diabetes or smoking or blood pressure or heart health. It was whether you are a full or regular part-time caregiver to a grandchild. And they, they did all sorts of control studies on this, and they were repeated by Boston University and other people. It's nuts. Um, you know, that grandchild-grandparent relationship, the grandparents live longer. It's, it's the single biggest predictor of, of things um, in terms of mental issues and all the forgetfulness and the Alzheimer's. It's the single biggest predictor of longevity, more than smoking, more than diabetes. Think about that for a minute. I mean, it's nuts. Um, so the mental health issue and the stimulation we get from caregiving. In other words, that includes the inconvenient stuff. That includes having to get up and walk around with a child who's napping in your arms because they won't nap in your crib and your hand gets tired and you get annoyed and you're listening to the music and they're asleep and you're so grateful you're helping. But the funny thing is that kind of connection is so much, you know, mentally more uh, stimulating than um, other things. And I think it goes for the other end of life, too. This isn't a study, but I think all those young fathers pushing strollers around finding that childcare is really a lot of work, and that level of stimulation for them is totally different than the deadly kind of stare-at-the-screen stuff you get in the office, even if you're doing exciting business deals, whatever. It's a completely different level because that child's awake in the night. Now you have to be. Now you get up. Now you deal with it. Going through all that is a totally different kind of level of involvement for people, and all the studies in neurobiology and the rest of it bear this out. So it isn't just a question of kind of sentimental good feeling. This is hard science, and um, we're crazy if we ignore that part of our lives. And I agree with you about the, the, the epidemic. I mean, I was glad in one way the kids could get back to normal, and I felt sorry they were having to do so much Zoom schooling and so forth. But, man, alive, you know, I was, it was such a relief to, to suddenly all be thrown together and go through COVID together, and they sheltered in our house as well, just like you had that experience. There's nothing about that it would change. I mean, yeah. I'm so sad that it was COVID, and my dear friend Mary died, and uh, so many people I, I knew, and the real tragedy. But the other side of that was, wow, you know, why do we have to have a, a pandemic to show us what we care about most? How ironic. Yeah, well, disruption very often causes us to move ahead, right? That seems to be the uh, sort of our the uh, what happens tension disruption. Um, we take a look at ourselves and then hopefully. Yeah, and you were asking Ernie earlier about the you know, career path. You know, Frank, we only have one minute. It. We're going to have to leave it because we only have one minute left. I mean, this it went by yeah. really fast. I have another guest who's coming on. So, fall in love, have children, stay put, save the planet, be happy. Frank Schaefer's new book. You can buy it. Well, I know you can. I downloaded it, so you can do right. You can buy it at bookstores anywhere. I assume anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and it'll give us a website we can go to, and, or and or many websites. Uh, yeah, I'll more information. Than that. You know, I'm an accessible person. Anybody want to ask me a question? They can just come to my 
email, which is frankashafer at AOL.com. It's F-R-A-N-K-A-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R at AOL. And or please listen to my podcast, In Conversation with Frank Schaefer, available everywhere podcasts are available. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Always great talking to you. Well, Catherine, thank you for inviting me. I really love being with you. Such good questions. What a nice conversation. Yeah, thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 